if you will. Turn in your Bibles to the third chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes as we continue our study through the Word. So what an interesting book the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's written by the wisest man that ever lived, the smartest man. It's written by Solomon. And and Solomon is seeking to answer the question, what's the meaning of life? What's it all about? There are the big universal questions, and, and they're questions that every single person that's ever lived, they, they, they wrestle with them. Why are we here? What is our purpose? And, and what am I trying to accomplish? Where am I trying to get to in in my life. And, and I know for us so oftentimes in our culture in America, it's, you know, you, you get your education, you get a career, you get married, and then you live happily ever after. And, you know, but no one ever tells you what that ever after is. You know, what, what is it that that looks like? What is, it is life just a collection of experiences? Is it just the, 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 the good experiences? Hopefully you maximize those. You, you minimize the, the pain, the heartache. You have a realistic approach that nobody gets a free pass. Everybody's going to go through trials. But you, you make the best of it and you enjoy the moments that you get. Others, they want to climb to the pinnacle of, of Everest. Others are, are Olympians. And I think of those athletes that are so focused on a gold medal. And, and they train and they, they'll depart from their families and they will uh, live in, in training facilities. And, and, and their lives, I mean, they are committed and dedicated to, to achieving a goal. And, and the question is, does that goal fulfill you when you achieve it there are the people that chase after money and they accumulate large masses of money but was that the purpose of life was what did they miss life in in seeking after the accumulation of of wealth did they suddenly find that they had traded what they can't get back for something that they can't take with them and and so these questions of what is my legacy? What am I here for? What am I trying to, to leave behind? Now, Solomon was in a unique position to be able to examine that question. I, I mean, number one, he's king. So he's starting at, at the top. He, he is one of the richest men that's ever lived. So when it comes to treasure, he's already, he's already got it. He, he, he is raised in, in the finest of the schools. He's educated beyond what we can imagine, skilled in, in every area of, uh, of intellectual endeavor. And so he is seeking to try now, using his wisdom and his vantage point, to be able to discover what, what's, what is lasting my life isn't lasting he he knows that our lives are a vapor we're gonna we're gonna be born and we're gonna die so i know that my life isn't going to be lasting so 
Can I leave things behind that are lasting then? Do I leave reputation or accomplishment or, or buildings? Do I, do I leave those behind? And, and he pursued all of those. And, and then he said, maybe it's just enjoy every single moment that you're alive. Maybe all that we have is life. And, and so let's party. Let, let's, let's throw caution to the wind and, and let's just YOLO, you know, and just uh, live it up, man. And Solomon did parties and, you know, he had musicians that were hired just, he had his own band and, uh, and all, and, and, and he chased after it. But, but every single avenue that he went down, he kept on finding it to be a dead end. He kept on finding that this isn't lasting. This isn't what it's about. This is emptiness. In the end, it's, it's emptiness. It's a waste of time. It's not going to be permanent. It's not going to be lasting. And so we, we see that the book of Ecclesiastes is, is the wisest man in the world trying to understand his purpose in life without revelation from God. He, he's trying to just use his, his intellect and his capacity to understand the, uh, the world around and to try and make sense of his existence here in this world apart from revelation from God. It's interesting because you know, as, as you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it, it is human reasoning. It, it is his attempt to discover this. And, and we'll see that Ecclesiastes has in it, because it is filled with human reasoning, we're going to find that there's going to be statements that Solomon is going to make that that's what it looks like from his perspective under the sun. Remember, we talked about this last time, that 29 times we are going to read the phrase under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. He's trying to make sense underneath heaven. But if you don't have a heavenly perspective, if you don't understand God's revelation, then this life is not going to make sense. So it's important when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes and we understand that it's Solomon reasoning through this, this question that we don't build doctrine out of the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon will make statements that are not true, that are partially true, and that are true. It's interesting that you will find many false doctrines will use the, the book of Ecclesiastes and verses out of the book of Ecclesiastes to, uh, to put forth you know, soul annihilation and, and all sorts of, uh, of different false doctrine, and, and they will quote out of Ecclesiastes. But Ecclesiastes is the is the wisdom of, of man trying to figure out. So we would never, ever, don't ever use Ecclesiastes uh, and verses in Ecclesiastes to support uh, a doctrine and raise not one eyebrow, but both eyebrows. If anybody that you're talking to is quoting out of uh, Ecclesiastes, and, and I will bet you, gentlemen's bet, <laughs> that if you ask them what Ecclesiastes is even about, if they understand the context of the book of Ecclesiastes, they won't, they won't 
have any understanding of the context of the verses that they're using to justify. So oftentimes, you know, one of the, one of the greatest reasons for studying the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is to understand the context of verses because so oftentimes verses are taken out of context, strung together, and then they say, look at what the Bible says. But if you're gonna take scripture out of context, you can twist scripture and make it say anything uh, that you want it to say. And so knowing what, what came before it, knowing what comes after it, knowing what the flow of thought is, knowing the, the context of who wrote it, the circumstances behind it, all, all of that is critical to understanding the, uh, the word of God as, as he reveals it to us. So we see in those first two chapters that we worked through already, you know, that Solomon kind of begins with the conclusion, vanity of vanities, all is, all is vanity. I've searched underneath every rock, I've looked to everywhere, and I, I cannot understand, I cannot find the, the, the significance, the, the, the long-lasting purpose for life. And as we move into this third chapter, he, he's going to continue to use his reasoning. He's going to keep on looking at the world around him, trying to understand the, the way in which God created the world and our place in the world. And, and he is going to begin by talking about the cycles. You, you, you observe in life cycles. You see that there are seasons and winter turns into spring and spring into summer and summer into fall and then you're back into winter again. You, you went right around in a circle. You're back at the uh, beginning again. And, and so we see that there are a lot of cyclical natures that uh, aspects to to life there are seasons and so uh, when solomon is talking about a season he's talking about a, a duration of time a season isn't a single moment in time a season is a a stretch of time you have a season and then that season changes into the next season and then we have moments we have appointed times a, a specific point and and so we see that there are both seasons and there are both moments that are in our lives now in our lives our lives have seasons we have our our youth and and we grow up and everybody had that in season and then you have that in season where uh, you're working and, and growing a family and and using those years and and then after that the the empty nests and the grandchildren and the and the silver hair on the top of the head and and and, and those years the golden years it should be the silver years you know the, the golden years or the balding years you know or or something else but they it's a season, you know, and, and everybody goes through those uh, seasons in their life. And so, and, and so just as Solomon is kind of looking around at, at, at the circular nature of, of life and seasons and, and all, is there a purpose somewhere in, in all of this? And, and that's where he begins here in this third chapter. And and he says in verse 1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose uh, under heaven. 
And so we see the, uh, the cyclical nature, the, the seasons that we go through, but every purpose, a time, a moment, God has a purpose, uh, and there is purposefulness that is in our lives. He, he says in verse 2, notice that it's not a season to be born, but it's a time to be born. That's a fixed moment. That's a point. On your birth certificate was the time recorded, the day and the, uh, the time that you came into this existence. Now, man doesn't control that. Nobody controls the, the day that they're going to be born or the time that they are going to be born. But uh, we see that there is a time for every purpose under heaven. So uh, the purpose of your birth but there was a, a time for it. And we see also uh, now that there is a, a time to die. He says a time to plant and a time to pluck uh, what is planted. So Solomon kind of, this is a poem that we're looking at here. He, he begins with the general statement uh, that to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And then what we are going to see is that he is going to give us seven sets of polar opposites, polar opposites, polar opposites. And, and so these extremes now mean in everything in between these two uh, opposites. And so he starts with that statement, and then we will see these, these seven opposites. A time to uh, be born, we see. And but even in the time to be born, remember, he says a season to everything, there is a season. Now the mother went through the season now of, um, of the nine months of, uh, of now incubation of that child in which God was knitting that baby together. And so there is that, that birth cycle. And so even within the appointed time, there is uh, now the cycle of life that is um, taking place uh, within there we see that uh, also he says that there is a time to die and so we see that God has appointed already the number of beats that your heart will beat the span of your life God determined that just like he determined the color of your eyes and so he, he gave you the color of your eyes you had no control over that you had no control over the the color of your hair and and all if it's your natural color you don't have control over that and we see that also the length of your life and so in psalm 139 16 your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them and so we see that the Bible is very clear that God knows the exact number of days, the span that he has given to us. Now in Psalm 90, 10, it says the, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. And so the, the normal span of life is 70 and then if you're beyond 70, everybody raise your hand if you're over 70 years old, put your, put your hand up. Okay, you're on bonus time right now uh, here, okay? Uh, here it says that if by, by blessing, by providence, then it's 80, and if you're beyond 80, then you're in double bonus uh, now. You know, but that's, that's the natural span, but here's the thing. It says the natural span is 70. Does that mean that every single one of us is guaranteed to live 70 years? 
It's like, nope. It says that that's, that's the natural, that's the normal span. And, um, but God is the one that has determined before the, the, the length of days that you're going to have. That verse is very comforting to people that have lost somebody suddenly. And they, they feel as if uh, now that, that that person was taken away from them. But the reality is, is, is that before that person was even born, that was the length of time that God gave them to experience here upon this uh, earth. And, uh, and so God is the one that, uh, that determines uh, that. And, you know, especially when there's a tragedy or an accident and, you know, and people think that it's the accident that took their life. It's like, no, it's the accident that God used to bring them into the eternal. But before they were born, he had already determined that that was the amount of time you're going to get with that loved one. And that was God's sovereign decision. And so whether we die in our sleep or it's sudden and unexpected or whether we, we are diseased and see it coming slowly before us, God, God is the one that has determined the, the length uh, of our days. And, and so uh, here we see that it says a time to plant and, and a time to pluck what is planted? And so here Solomon now covers, you know, he, he first covers the span of our life, birth and death. Then he covers the agricultural cycle. There is the, the planting uh, of the seed into the ground, and then the end of that uh, is the harvesting. And so we see now he has covered both of, uh, of these fields, these territories uh, here. In verse 3, he says, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to kill, that's interesting. What does that mean, that there's a time to kill? Well, uh, this may be referring to war, uh, and governments have authority to defend their borders, and so soldiers are, uh, are given authority by God to be able to fight in the uh, in war and so wartime would be a time to uh, to kill also capital punishment uh, would be another uh, the government has been given authority uh, to use the sword in capital punishment and so capital punishment be aware of this is absolutely biblical uh, and so there is no issue in the bible with capital punishment self defense would be another illustration of a uh, of a time to kill when you were defending God has given us the authority to to protect our own lives. We're a steward over the life that He has given to us, and uh, and so that would also be another uh, example of a of a time to kill, uh, and a time to uh, to heal, a time to break down, and a time to uh, to build up and. Uh, and so construction, you, sometimes you tear down the old building and then when you, you replace it with a, uh, with a new building. The things get dilapidated, you tear it down and then you mm, construct a new and, uh, and then that will over time become dilapidated and so that in cycle of tearing down and, uh, and rebuilding. He says in verse 4, time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn. And a time to dance. And 
and so here we see the flow of life is between those, those times of laughter and celebration and those times of sadness and those times of, uh, of sorrow. We see that one weekend we are at a wedding and we are celebrating someone getting uh, married and the next week we are attending a funeral and we are uh, sorrowing uh, over the, uh, the loss of loved ones. And, in our lives, uh, they cycle around uh, between the laughter and the uh, sorrow. And, and again, this is the universal experience. This is everybody uh, experiences these uh, emotions. And there's a time to cast away stones and a time to, to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So a time to cast away stones. So the time to cast away stones is when you're, you're clearing a field and you are pulling all of the, the stones uh, out of the field. And so you are casting away the stones. But then there's other times that you're gathering the stones. You're gathering those stones to build walls. You're gathering those stones to, uh, to be used in, in building and construction. And, and also there's a, a time to be throwing them away and then there's another time to be gathering together and, and collecting them and so a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing and so with affection there is a, a time for affection and there is a time that is more solemn and and so here again the cycle a time to gain and a time to lose a time to keep and a time to throw away. And so a, a time to gain and a time to lose. This, uh, this now can be a reference to businesses and cycles and fluctuating profit and loss. And, and first the markets are bullish and everything is going up. Then the markets switch and they become bare and everything is, is going down. And, uh, and so these are the, the cycles of gaining and of uh, losing. A time to keep and a a time to throw away. It's, it's interesting the, the way that we accumulate things. And, you know, it's, it just fascinates me how clutter collects. Uh, just like on its own, it just starts multiplying. And, you know, so, so, and then all of a sudden, you know, you collect, you collect, you collect, and then you pick a day to throw it all away. And, you know, a time of spring cleaning and getting rid of everything. And then you start to collect again and collect, collect and then throw it all away again in the, in the cycle of, and collecting and throwing away and, and that is a universal ex experience. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to tear. You remember that in the Jewish culture that the tearing of your clothes, the renting of your clothes was a sign of sorrow. It was a sign of, of mourning. There's a time to, to mourn but then also when the morning is done, you would stitch the garment back uh, up again. You would sew it. We're not to stay in a perpetual state of mourning and to stop, we're to mourn, a time to tear, but then also a time to stand back up again, wash the ashes off of your face, sew your garment back up and keep on living and keep on moving forwards in your life. God never wants you to get stuck. God never wants you to get stuck. And so 
If you're feeling stuck, know that that's not God's plan for you. God wants you to keep on going. We will go through seasons and we will go through experiences, but, uh, but God never wants us to stay plateaued and to stay uh, in a place. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. When, when, when should you keep silent? Well, you should keep silent when, uh, when you're being criticized on jumpsuit. You remember how Jesus was silent before his accusers and, uh, and all? Time to, to seal your mouth to not answer and back with a harsh word when someone is speaking harshly towards you. And so there are times when, when not speaking is an act of love, of holding your tongue, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to keep your tongue uh, silent. But then... Also, it says that there is a time to speak up. And, and so uh, we want to speak when, uh, whenever there is an injustice or unrighteousness that is taking place. We are to defend the, the innocent and the helpless and to be a voice for the voiceless. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we're never intimidated into not using our voice or being fearful. So we don't use our voice. Those are the the times that we need to find the courage to, uh, to speak up and to have our, uh, our voice. There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and uh, a time of peace. And, and so again, a time to love, that's an easy one, but a time to hate, what, what is that? Is the Bible teaching hate? And the answer to that is, is that we're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? And so part of loving God means that we're going to love what God loves, and we're going to hate what God hates. And so we see that there is a time to love, but there is also a time to hate. God hates injustice. He hates injustice. God hates sin. We see the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that sin has caused his creation. And so we, we see that we are to hate what God hates and we're to love what God loves. That's that new heart. God, give me a new heart. Give me a heart that, that loves what you love and is offended with what you are offended. And so, here we see that, that now the time of war and the time of peace, we see that history is a record of, of wars with short periods of peace in between these periods of war, another cycle of war and peace and war and peace. And so in verse 9, he says, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? And, and so now he's looking at our careers and looking at where we are putting our, our efforts in. How hard should a person work? What, what is a balanced uh, uh, approach? What of the person that just spends a hundred hours a week working so that they can make the money to provide it for the family, to give them a better life, a better quality of, of, of life. Is that, 
Is that out of balance or is that noble? Is that sacrificial love of, uh, of where I am, you know, uh, honoring God by providing for my family or, or is that a misguided notion? What, what is, where is the balance? What is, what work? What's the purpose of, uh, of work? And, and what are the boundaries uh, uh, around it? And, and so what lasting gain, this is what he's asking, what lasting gain am I going to get by working myself into the, the grave? And, and so he's, he's trying now to, to look for the positives and to balance the, uh, the negatives. And he says, I, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be uh, occupied. You'll, you'll remember that we've been given stewardship over this uh, earth. And it says, and he has made everything beautiful in its time. And also he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to, uh, to end. So some of the observations that Solomon has of God here upon this uh, earth. He's, he, he's made everything beautiful. He's put eternity in the hearts of, uh, of men. But he adds that also we can't know the, the work of God, the work that God is doing. Uh, God is sovereign and eternal and, and we don't have that knowledge. We can't study God and, and figure God out. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the, the gift of God. And so Solomon once again sees, you know, this sacrifice to accumulate and then, then we're going to really be able to have a good time as soon as, and he says that, you know, that the problem with that is that as soon as never seems to, uh, to come. Instead, he says that there needs to be the enjoyment along the way. You can't just deprive yourself with the goal of thinking that that goal that you're going to get to is then going to be this ultimate fulfillment that now is going to make up for, uh, for all of the sacrifice. He, he says that's, that's out of balance. And this is his observation, uh, remember, here. And, and so he's, he's recommending the present enjoyment of, of life. In other words, he's saying that since, since everything is a cycle, it ends where it begins, then, then the best policy is to, is to enjoy your life as much as is possible. He says, I, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. So again, as Solomon is working his way through these issues, he completely believes in God uh, and he recognizes that God is who God is. He's just trying to find out his purpose without revelation from God. And so he says that the, that the work of God, he says it's, it's eternal. Everything that God does, will be will endure forever 
Uh, and it's perfect. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been. And what is to be, listen, has what? Already been. And so here again, he recognizes that God is outside of time. Because to God, the future is the past. He knows the, uh, the future completely. And God requires an account of what is past. Solomon looks at the world. He sees injustice. And so trying to understand how, how what, what, trying to make sense of injustice in the world uh, uh, around us. And he says, moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. And so he, he finds crookedness. He finds crookedness in the judicial system. He finds that there are judges, that they should be impartial, they, they should be righteous, but instead, where there's supposed to be righteousness, uh, instead there is corruption uh, that is there. And, and he found corruption, are you ready? In the government. Can you imagine that? In the government, uh, he says, and, uh, and so in the place of the courts, uh, it was there. And in the place of righteousness in the, uh, in the government, he says, iniquity was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. And so here again, we see that... Uh, Solomon affirms that God's not ignorant of the injustice and that there is going to be a judgment and that he is going to take and to judge righteously. You remember that Habakkuk kind of had the same issue that there was this wicked nation, the Babylonians, and, and God was going to use the, the wickedness of the Babylonians. First, it's like, you know, why do you allow the wickedness of the Babylonians? And, but then secondly, God says, I'm going to use the Babylonians as my instruments. And then it was, you know, how, how could you be using the, the wicked now, you know, uh, to, to judge right people? So we see that, that same issue that God is not unaware of the, of the injustice or the, the righteousness. But when you recognize that in the end, there is going to be a righteous judgment on, on everything. And, and God is in control and, and he is uh, aware. I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them as one dies, so dies the other. And surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to the dust. Now, his view on death would be exactly what you would expect if we didn't have the word of God to let us know the, the truth of these things. And, uh, and so we see that Solomon here is suggesting, he sees that people die and they go into the ground and animals die and they go into the ground. And so 
Here we see that there is a, a commonality in the death and in the going back into the, uh, the ground. But here, once again, we see is one of the, the observations that he makes that is not true when he comes to the conclusion that man has no advantage over animals. He says in verse 21, for who knows the spirit of the sons of men? which goes upward in the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth. And so I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? And so uh, God created animals with a body and a soul, they have a, a personality and uh, an intellect and they have memory and, uh, and they have functioning of that capacity, but they don't have a spirit. Uh, and so they're body, soul, but no spirit. Man is body, soul, and spirit. And so we see we are created eternally. Our spirit is eternal. Uh, and so we see that animals are, are not created with that in spirit. We see that nothing is said in the Bible concerning life after death for animals. And so the, the Bible is just silent uh, on uh, that issue. So there, the, we do know that there are animals in heaven. Uh, that much we do know. We, we know that there is at least a white horse that's in heaven because Jesus is going to ride that uh, when he returns uh, in glory. Uh, and so if you're a horse lover, that's exciting. Uh, and, uh, and so here we see that since people are, are mortal, Solomon recommends once again that, uh, that we enjoy uh, our work and the things that we put our, uh, our hands to. He comes back to injustice again. He kind of started on that theme of injustice. And, uh, and here in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. And so we see here that Solomon now is, is observing the, uh, the injustice and looks at the acts uh, of oppression. He says, and, and therefore I, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done uh, under the sun. And so <clears throat> this is his observation of the injustices in, in the earth that they take place and that there is wickedness that takes place. Evil is real. Amen? And we see it in operation and trying to understand evil just hurts the heart when you see the manifestations of, of the depravity of man and, and what man is capable of. And, and so, you know, there is there appears to be no justice. The, the newspapers were reporting on, uh, on a piece of justice. There, there was apparently uh, in the news, there, there was a person that had committed murder. 
They had murdered this person and they were digging the hole to bury them in when they suffered a heart attack and died digging the hole to bury the person that they had murdered. And it was like there was a poetic justice, you know, in the, uh, the murderer dying as he's trying to, um, to cover. But we see the wickedness of, uh, of man's uh, heart and the acts uh, of depravity and hatred and wickedness against one another and and it burdens our heart it saddens uh, our uh, our heart sometimes it is difficult to watch the news where it's just one story after the next uh, of uh, of wickedness in operation being observed and, and reported on and and that is what solomon here is is reporting here that that it, it's better to not even see the, the wickedness of the, of the hearts of, uh, of men. Again, I saw that for all toil, verse 4, and every skillful work a man is envied by his neighbor. And this also is vanity and grasping for the, the wind. So here Solomon sees that someone is a, is a gifted craftsman. And they take their giftedness and they build this amazing house. And, and, and what's the end result? That everybody else now is envious. So that he's just created envy in the hearts of, uh, of others who don't have as nice a house as that. So even your, your giftedness and your toil now, uh, what does it do? It, it, it creates envy in your neighbor. So what's the net result? What was the, the net result of, uh, of that? It says, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the, uh, the wind. We see, would you rather have more with strife in your life or would you rather have less with peace in your life? And and so uh, here is the choice that is um, before us. And, and we see that, that envy and greed can, can oftentimes motivate us. It's, it's called keeping up with the, the Joneses. I've never met the Joneses. Where did, who are they? But apparently we're all trying to keep up with them. They're winning, you know. And, uh, but... Uh, but we see that I, I believe that we're at a whole new level. This next generation, uh, I don't envy you. Uh, the, the, the challenge that you have of this invention of social media, where, where everybody is just showing these clips of this, this best life, and, uh, and what it does is it just has such an uh, effect on people of, uh, of wanting what it appears everybody else has. And it ends up, you know, with the result of, of, of having you to feel like you're a, a, a less than. You know, when I was growing up, they just had professionals do that. It was called marketing. And marketing, you know, was like if you didn't have this shirt, if you didn't have this brand, if you didn't have, you know, this product, you're not, you know, and then you needed to get the new one because I had the old one of that and now the new one just came out. And, you know, and, and so they do studies and research on the colors and, and, and the words and the images and, you know, and they study to make you discontent. Listen, they study you to see how they can make you discontent content or make you feel discontent without 
the, their product, what they have and how satisfied you're going to feel. So, so that is the job of marketing is to create envy. You see what somebody else has and now you want what they have and so you can be like them. But social media now is so far beyond just the, the, the professionals. Now it's everybody that is doing it. You're now, you know, getting these images from everybody of everybody's uh, life. And, and so, you know, we see the, uh, the effect, uh, you know, that it has, you know, is it better to have more with, you know, with strife in your heart and division or less with peace? But none of the social images and social media shows the value of inner peace with what you have. They just show what you have, and they just show the times that you're having, but they don't show the quality of the soul, the condition of the soul. And so it's just the outward trappings. But here we see that you know, Jesus you know, said that if you drink from this well, you will what? you'll thirst again. And, and so we, we see the, the strife and the accumulation and trying to keep up and trying to feel, you know, not feel less than uh, others. Such a battle, such a, uh, a challenge today. And then I remembered and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. We see that, that greed is insatiable. It's never enough. It's never enough. If you're chasing after, if greed is the motivation in, in your heart, then, then there is never uh, enough. And he says, this is emptiness. This is a, a waste of life. But the value of relationships, there is value in relationships. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. We were made, created by God for a relationship. We were created by God to have a healthy relationship with God and then to build healthy relationships with others. You see, the purpose of our healthy relationships with others is to have God's love flow through us onto them. So if we don't have relationships with others, we, we're just going to be collecting God's love and it's just going to go into a, a well, into a cistern and have no outlet. It is the healthy relationship with others that allows us now to pour God's love through us onto others. And so you were created for healthy relationships. Two are better than one. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is, is not quickly broken. And so, and here, if two are better than one, then three are better than two. And, but 
we see that this is, uh, really this verse is, is a wedding verse. So oftentimes it used and so appropriately used in a, in a wedding. When two people get married and are in the covenant of marriage before God, there is a third, Christ, who is to be the center of their marriage, the center of their life, the center of their home. And it's not two people twisted together. It is now the three that are woven together into a three-stranded cord. And that three-stranded cord, it's, it is not going to easily be broken. And so the difference of twisting your lives around each other or braiding it together with Christ in uh, the center of uh, our lives. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished uh, no more. And so Solomon here kind of starts with the, a proverb uh, now that you know, it is uh, better to be poor uh, and wise and young than to be old and foolish and to have uh, wealth and status. And so the, the foolish uh, life that's now at its end and, and it's accumulated things, but all it has is stuff. And life isn't about stuff. Life is about love. Life is about relationships. Uh, and so in our materialistic society, that, that message is is getting drowned out in our culture today. In verse 14, for he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. So Solomon here in verse 14, he's talking about a, another man, another young man. And so he talks about one that comes out of misfortune and out of obscurity. And he's going to rise all the way from that low level. He is going to be the American success story. He's going to be the rags to riches person that overcomes all adversity in, in his life and climbs to the pinnacle that life can, can offer. He says he comes out of prison, so oppressed, misfortunate. He comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. And I saw all the living who walk under the sun, and they were with the second youth who stands in his place. And there was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. And surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. And so here again will it last once you're gone? What, what difference will it have made? What is the lasting purpose in, in life and so he says, even if you climb to the pinnacle, and that was the viewpoint that Solomon had. <laughs> there he was, king over the entire kingdom, queen of Sheba coming from miles to hear the wisdom of, uh, of Solomon, his Solomon's gold and his vast buildings and, and all the great kingdom that was uh, underneath Solomon. And, and, and yet... What can I do that is lasting? What, what is the purpose? Because if, if no matter what I do, it all just fades and, and crumbles, then 
What's the purpose of building anything at all if none of it's going to remember and if none of it's going to last? And that's the question. That is the emptiness, listen, inside the heart of every single person that's not saved. That emptiness that is inside of them, it's that gnawing that is there. And that, that gnawing is called the divine discontent. It is, there is a, a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every single person that, uh, that no matter what you try and fill it with, it will be satisfied for a little while. And then it comes back, and the gnawing comes back uh, again. We were made by God to know him, be known, and to be loved, to love him, and to be loved uh, by him. And God created us to be in an eternal relationship with him. And until we recognize that and, and understand that, we don't know what our purpose is. Because you see, the purpose is, is that we would reflect the glory and the love of God onto the world that is around us. That's, that was your purpose. That is your, uh, your purpose, is, is to have a right relationship and to be connected with God. And then, But if you don't know God, then there's no way that you can ever bring glory to him. And so you no matter what you're doing on the face of the earth, you're not doing what you were created for. And so you never really ever feel like you have traction in, in your life. And, and, and then like Solomon, you chase things down, but then you find out that they're empty. And then you chase something else and it's empty. It is only in experiencing the love of God, the love of Christ, it fills your heart, Jesus says, that will turn into a, a spring out of which rivers of water uh, will come forth. When we are finally in the arms of our Father, saved, washed, and cleansed, redeemed, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that we now are doing what we were created to do, loving God and being loved by Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your grace, your love, your mercy and towards us. And God, we ask that you would continue to help us to know our purpose and to fulfill that purpose. Each in the appointments of the time, there is a season and there is a time for everything under the sun. Help us, Lord, in our season and help us in our time to be able to bring glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.